All right. Well, hey, today uh, we are closing out a three-part series on prayer called Closer. Uh, And today our topic is how to pray, how to pray. So week one, what is prayer? Week two, why pray? This week is how to pray. And if you're anything like me, I am sure that there have been points in your life where uh, before praying or after praying or while praying, you have thought to yourself, am I doing this right? Right? Because come on, let's be honest. At times prayer feels awkward and it feels forced and it feels unnatural. And when prayer feels that way, you're just hoping that you're saying the right things in the right way so that God hears you. Well, if you've ever been there, here's what I want you to know today. The how of prayer is a whole lot easier than you might think. And my goal today is to show you from the scriptures just how easy prayer truly is. Now, to do that, we're going to take the same approach that we took last Sunday, all right? We're going to do some biblical theology together again, which means we're going to look across books and look across passages, and we'll compile in a very systematic way during our time what the Bible has to say about how to pray. If you're taking notes, get ready to write, all right? We have a lot of ground to cover today, so we're wasting no time. We're going to dive right in, and I'm going to give you eight ways to pray. Eight ways to pray. Are you ready for the eight ways to pray? Yes? You're all live out there. You're with me. Okay, here we go. Way number one, pray simply. Pray simply. Over the past two weeks, we have been touching on Matthew chapter 6, this chapter where Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. And I pointed out last Sunday that before teaching his disciples to pray, he teaches them how not to pray. Right in verse 5, he tells them, hey, when you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites. Those religious leaders who stand up in the synagogues and on the street corners and, and pray these flashy, eloquent prayers all to be seen and heard by other people. But then he goes on in verse 7 and he says this, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Now, the Gentiles Jesus is referencing here, these were pagan people known for praying long, repetitious, wordy prayers. Because they believed that in doing so, their prayers would become more powerful and the gods would be more likely to hear and respond. And so Jesus says to us as his people, don't pray like that. Don't pray like that. Long, repetitious, complicated, wordy prayers are not required to gain God's attention. Okay, as love sons and daughters of God, we have God's attention. And parents in the room, you get this, don't you? I mean, when my daughters, who are seven and three, when they need me, they don't have to say a whole lot to get me to show up. Uh, Daddy, help is about all it takes, and I come running. Or if my girls want to completely melt me, they don't have to say a whole lot to pull that off. Uh, Daddy, I love you is about all it takes. Or my three-year-old, Sayla, at times, she will say to me, Daddy, you're handsome. And that works too. It's like, excuse me, what'd you say? Can you repeat that? I need to hear that again. I love it. Well, listen, the same is true when it comes to God. God doesn't need you to say a whole lot in prayer. He doesn't need you to change the tone of your voice. He doesn't need you to quote every Bible verse you know. He doesn't need you to sprinkle in theological terms that no one's ever heard of. And come on, we all know people who pray that way. Some of us might be those people. Stop doing that. God doesn't need that from you. All God wants is for you to talk to him like a normal person talks to a friend. Like a son or daughter would talk to their good, gracious, loving father. And so literally at times all you need to say in prayer is... 
God, help. God, I need you. God, thank you. God, I love you. God, strengthen me today. And listen, when you can't even find the words to utter simple prayers like that, the Bible says it's okay because the Holy Spirit of God is behind the scenes praying for you and he's saying things to God that you cannot say on your own. You see, here's the truth. And if you're taking notes, you might want to jot this down. What God wants from you in prayer is not a lot of words, but a lot of heart. What God wants from you in prayer is not a lot of words, but a lot of heart. My friends, do not overcomplicate prayer and make it something it was never meant to be. Pray simply. Pray simply. Number two, pray honestly. Pray honestly. In Psalm 13, David, who would later become king over Israel, he records what I believe is one of the most honest prayers in the Bible. At this point in his life, he was running from a human enemy who was attempting to kill him. And here's what he says to God. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? I'm really curious. Have you ever felt like that? (laughs) Like God forgot you? Like he checked out on you, like he's just left you all alone to deal with your own thoughts and emotions, like he's just kind of sitting back watching that enemy in your life triumph over you. Have you ever been there? Okay, I know I have on more than one occasion. And if you can identify with that, here's what I would say to you. In those moments and in those seasons, do what David did and be honest with the Lord. Okay, don't hide from him. Don't run from him. Don't try to cover up how you're feeling out of fear that that God or other people are going to think poorly of you. Just be real. I mean, you do know that God knows what you're feeling anyway, right? So you might as well tell him, okay, God, I'm tired of feeling like this. I'm just sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. I'm, I'm tired of being in need. I'm tired of waiting. I'm tired of feeling desperate and depressed and anxious all the time. God, I kind of feel like you've forgotten me. Listen, when you pray honestly like that, whether you realize it or not, here's what you're doing. You are actually expressing faith in God. You see, in spite of how you're feeling, don't miss this, you're acknowledging, number one, that God is still out there. (laughs) Number two, that he's still listening to you. And number three, he is actually gracious enough and powerful, powerful enough to change what you're experiencing and change what you're feeling. And this is exactly what he did for David. When you keep reading Psalm uh, Psalm 13, which is really short, by the way, it's only like six verses, you find that by the end of the psalm, David is praising the Lord. So in just the span of a few short verses, he goes from worrying that God forgot him to thanking God for his steadfast love and salvation. What happened? He was honest with God and God changed him. And I just want you to know today, regardless of what you might be going through, regardless of what you're facing, God can and God desires to restore that same joy and same hope to you, but you need to pray honestly. Just pray honestly. Number three, pray humbly. Pray humbly. So in other words, please don't miss this. In other words, be honest, but be careful. Tell God exactly what you're feeling but remember who you're talking to. Okay, I just want to remind us today that God is not like us. We are not on the same level. Okay, the Bible's very clear here. God is holy, transcendent, distinct, unique, set apart in every way, and because of who he is, you can't talk to him any way you want. 
Okay, it's like what I tell my girls when they come and start talking crazy at me. I just remind them, you're seven, you're three, I'm your daddy. You ain't going to talk to me like that, all right? Listen, in the same way, God's status and God's character demands that you possess a certain awe and reverence toward him. And I just want to warn you, when you choose to speak to God without that sense of awe and reverence, God can and God will at times put you in your place. Okay, this is what he did to Job in the Old Testament. If you don't know Job's story, Job was a righteous man who was suffering. I mean, the dude lost everything. His health, his wealth, his property, his livestock, his children. And after losing everything, he had some friends, they were bad friends, come to him and say, okay, Job, uh, just confess what you've done. You know, if you were living right, this kind of stuff wouldn't be happening to you. And so if you just confess your sin, maybe God will forgive you and fix all this. And then along with those friends, Job's own wife was coming to him and saying, just curse God and die. I mean, bro, this is as bad as it gets. Just hang it up and quit living. Well, Job started listening to those negative voices and he began to complain against the Lord. And the Lord let the complaining go on for quite a while. But then in uh, chapter 38 of the book, God finally speaks up and he confronts Job. And I want you to see what he says. He says, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Like, who is this human being that is questioning me about things that he doesn't understand? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. And then for four chapters, you need to read those chapters, by the way, starting in chapter 38. For four chapters, God puts Job in his place. He just asks him questions like these. Uh, hey, dude, were you there when I laid the earth's foundation? Oh, no, no, I didn't think so. Uh, Job, have you ever walked in the deepest parts of the oceans? Oh, no again? Okay, let me write that one down. Hey, but have you ever commanded the morning to get up and get to work? No? Okay, no again, three for three. Uh, you, you know where light comes from and where darkness resides? Job, how about this? Have you ever seen where snow is made and kept, where the hail is stockpiled? Have you ever sent rain upon the earth or sent lightning on its way? And again, God goes on and on and on like this as if to say to Job, remember who you're talking to. I love you, bro, but you have to remember your place. And again, listen to me. When we pray, we have to remember our place as well. Like men in the room, come on. When you pray, you're not talking to God, your homeboy. Uh, ladies in the room, you're not talking to Jesus, your boyfriend, okay? None of us are talking to the Holy Spirit, our little sidekick that we just get to boss around and tell what to do. And when we pray, listen, we are praying to the glorious God of the universe who alone deserves our honor, our respect, and our praise. Pray humbly. Pray humbly. Number four. Number four, pray confidently. Pray confidently. We touched on Hebrews 4 last week. I want to hit it again just from a different angle. Here's what it says. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, last Sunday, I made it a point to share with you that before the cross of Jesus Christ, it was impossible for sinners to enter the presence of God directly, right? His presence dwelt behind a thick, heavy curtain in an area of the temple known as the Holy of Holies, 
And only one guy could go behind that curtain one day a year on Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement. This was the high priest. According to Leviticus 16, uh, before going in, the high priest had to bathe a certain way. He had to dress a certain way. He had to present a series of blood sacrifices to atone for his sins. And then his going in was still so serious that they would tie bells and a rope to this dude just in case something went wrong. And they would stand outside the curtain and they would listen. And as long as the bells were ringing, they would know everything's going fine in there. But as soon as the bells stopped and boom, body hit the floor, right, it was time to pull on the rope. Listen, I want you to put yourself in his shoes for a moment, if you will. Can you imagine how fearful you'd be if you were him? Day of atonement rolls around yet again. And there you are getting yourself ready. You know, you've bathed and you've gotten dressed and you've made your sacrifices. And and you're just about to enter in. And you like find whatever reflective service you can find. And you're going, okay, are my clothes all right? Did I get every button? Like, is my hat straight? Is all this stuff? Nothing's inside out or backwards, is it? Somebody check me. And then you're like second guessing your bath. Okay, did I get all the areas clean that I was supposed to get clean? And you're thinking about those sacrifices. Okay, I know I checked like 72 different times, but I'm, I'm really hoping that I didn't miss a spot or a blemish on one of those animals because if I did, God's not going to accept that. And you're just getting ready to pull back the curtain and you start praying, God, don't kill me. God, don't kill me. God, don't, just please, God, let me make it out of here alive. Can you imagine being that guy? Can I tell you what's so unfortunate? There's still people that approach God like that today. And some of you might be those people. Like you're approaching God feels like you're having a panic attack. You're walking into his presence like a scared dog with its tail between its legs, just waiting on God to strike you down. And the writer of Hebrews, I love this, is saying to us, if that's your approach to God, stop it. Like stop approaching God like that. First off, 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ wore your skin, and so he knows what it feels like to struggle with the hardships you're struggling with, to be tempted by the sins you're tempted by, and he, King Jesus, is actually sympathetic toward you today. But secondly, because Jesus overcame every temptation and trial that came his way, he is now able to offer you everything you need to overcome yours. In addition to all that, we know from the scriptures that by his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus Christ has now opened the way for sinners like you and me to come into the presence of God. And as the writer of Hebrews tells us, it's by the grace of God we can approach him with confidence. With confidence. That word confidence in the Greek, it means that you can approach God with courage, with boldness, and you can speak to him openly and honestly without shame and without fear. And so I just want to say to you, if you're that person in the room who is fearful of approaching God, just quit. Like seriously, stop it. Your ability to walk into the presence of God with confidence is not dependent on what you do or don't do in any way. It is completely dependent upon what Jesus Christ, your great high priest, has done on your behalf. And so when you pray, again, the invitation from God himself is pray confidently. Pray confidently. Come on, this is good news, isn't it? Pray confidently. Next, number five. Pray expectantly. Pray expectantly. One of my favorite stories about prayer in the Bible is found in Acts chapter 12. Peter, the leader of the early church, has just been arrested. He is awaiting execution. James, one of the disciples, has already been killed. 
And so as Peter is in prison, the church gathers together and they start praying for him. Well, as they're praying, God sends an angel from heaven and this angel performs a supernatural prison break. Okay, Peter's chains fall off, the prison doors open, and he walks out of jail a free man. Well, when he finally comes to and realizes this is actually happening, God just saved me, he travels to the house where the church is gathered praying for him, and he knocks on the door. It's the middle of the night, by the way. And this little servant girl named Rhoda comes to the door, and she asks the question I assume that anybody would ask in the middle of the night, who is it? And she hears from the other side, Rhoda, it's Peter. Well, listen, this little servant girl so excited, she doesn't even let him in. Can you imagine being Peter in that moment? Like, I'm a fugitive. I'd really like to get inside right now. But she just leaves Peter outside, outside the room, and runs back into where the church is. And she says, hey, great news. Prayer meeting is over. Uh, God heard our cries, saved our leader. Peter is standing at the door. And of course, the church jumps to their feet and they start applauding and they're praising God. Thank you for saving him, right? That's not what happens at all. This church looks at this faith-filled servant girl and they say to her, Rhoda, you have lost your mind. Come on, girl, quit being crazy. Just come on back into the prayer meeting. We need to continue asking God to move. Look, I think if we're being honest, we could all confess today that we know what it's like to feel that way in prayer. We are busy asking God for something, and we really want him to do that something. But as we're praying for that something, in the back of our minds, we're thinking the whole time, he's not going to do it. He's not going to do it. And then if God actually does it, we can't even recognize what he's done because we're so busy doubting him. Why do we do that? Why do we pray without expectation? I think the answer is really simple. We either don't know or we don't believe what the Bible teaches about what we should expect in prayer. Let me show you what Jesus says in Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Listen to this next part. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Here's Jesus' point. He's simply teaching here that the person who prays should expect to receive. That the person who prays should expect to receive. Why? Because God is a good father who only gives good gifts to his children. And I love the way Jesus frames it, okay? You can just imagine these people that are listening to him teach. He looks at them and goes, okay, hey, tell me this. Which parent in the crowd today, if your kid came to you and says, hey, I'm really hungry, I'd like some bread, which one of you parents would give him a rock? Or if your kid came and said, hey, I'd really like some fish today for lunch, which one of you parents is going to go snake instead, right? Like no parent is going to do that to their child. And then Jesus uses this how much more formula that we see him using at times when he teaches. He goes, okay, listen, if you people who are evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your father in heaven give good things to his kids who ask him? You see, Jesus just wants us to see 
that when we as loved sons and daughters of God pray and ask God for what we need, we should always expect God to give us something. Now, would you look up here? I need to know that you're here in this next part. That something may not be what you're asking for. (laughs) Jesus is not saying that you just ask God for whatever you want. He's going to give it to you every time, okay? You might ask for something, and God might give you a different something. Why? Because God knows what you need better than you do. And whatever God gives you in a moment, that's the thing that is best for you. And so according to what Jesus teaches, you and I as sons and daughters of God can always pray with hands open, expecting to receive good things from our Father in heaven. Pray expectantly. Number six, pray persistently. Pray persistently. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus tells this incredible parable about a widow who had an enemy that had wronged her. And so she comes to this judge in her city. Jesus says the judge was unrighteous, didn't fear God, didn't respect people. And this widow comes and says, Judge, I would like justice. And the judge says, No, I'm not giving it to you. Well, instead of giving up, this little widow, she just keeps showing back up over and over again. Hey, judge, it's me again. Just, I'm asking for justice again. No. Okay, I'll be back tomorrow. <laughs> she comes back. Hey, judge, it's me. I'd really like justice against my enemy. I've been very, no, I'm not going to do it. Okay, I'll be back tomorrow. She just keeps coming back over and over and over. And she wears this guy out with her persistent asking. Like literally to the point where he goes, okay, you know what? I'm going to give you what you want if you'll just leave me alone. And the point of Jesus' parable was simply this. It wasn't, hey, annoy God until he gives you what you want. That's not the point he's making. His point was persist in prayer and don't give up. Persist in prayer and don't give up. If an ungodly judge would do that for that woman, how much more will God act on behalf of those who persistently call on him in prayer? Now, what this parable means for all of us today on a really practical level is this. It means you might have to pray a while before you see God move. You might have to pray a while before you see God move. Like you might have to pray for 20 years before your spouse ever puts their faith in Jesus. You might have to pray for 10 years before that pregnancy test ever shows a positive. You might have to pray for five years before that prodigal son or daughter ever comes back home. You might have to pray for a lifetime to overcome that sin or that struggle in your life. And I know that's not what any of us want to hear today, right? Because as people, we want what we want when we want it. But oftentimes, that is not how God works. Listen, I've told you this before, and I'll keep telling you this. On this side of eternity, God is far more concerned with your dependence than he is with your deliverance. And persistence, my friends, grows us in dependence. And so if praying for that thing in your life for the next 15 years will increase your dependency upon the Lord, God might just let you pray. But my encouragement to you is this. Whatever you do, don't get discouraged. And whatever you do, don't lose perspective. As you pray and wait on the Lord, he is busy behind the scenes in your life, working on you, working on your heart, shaping you and conforming you more into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. And so you keep persisting and you keep praying and you trust and believe that one day God will show up in power and move on your behalf. Pray persistently. Pray persistently. Number seven. I got a couple more points. Number seven, pray biblically. Pray biblically. 
Uh, Several years ago, I had a good friend in our church invite me to join him for a day-long prayer retreat. And I'll be honest and tell you, going in, I was hesitant. (laughs) Like, how are we about to pray for a whole day? Like, I mean, dude, I got some stuff going on in my life right now, but I don't know if it's like an all-day kind of prayer day. You know, I don't know if it's going to take me that long, but I went anyway, and I'm so glad that I did because that day set something in motion in my life that has forever changed me. And since that day, I've done more day-long prayer retreats, and I can count. Uh, I try to do this once a month, okay? I don't always get it in, but, but that's my goal, once a month, just to get away for a whole day and to press into the Lord in prayer. And one of the greatest benefits of doing that in my life has been this. I have learned to pray biblically. I've learned to pray biblically. So what do I mean when I say pray biblically? I mean you open the Bible and you pray it. (laughs) You read the Word of God and you pray the Word back to God. And instead of trying to explain to you how to do that, I thought it would be more helpful for me to just demonstrate, okay? So our team, they're going to throw Psalm 103 up onto the screens behind me, and I just want you to watch and listen. Just observe what I do, okay? And then we're going to talk about it. Listen to this. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. God, thank you for not dealing with me according to my sin. Thank you that you have given up the life of your one and only son, Jesus Christ, that he has taken the punishment I deserve from you so that you never have to deal with me according to what I've done. God, I thank you that that your promise in your word is that you show steadfast love to people who fear you. And so, God, would you just help me to fear you more? God, help me to possess a holy awe and a holy reverence toward you. God, thank you for taking my sin from me, for removing it from me as far as the east is from the west, for casting it into the sea of forgetfulness and remembering it no more. Thank you, God, for what you've done. And then I keep reading, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. God, thank you for being a compassionate father, for being a God who suffers with your people. And God, thank you for remembering that I am dust, that I am a weak, fragile, needy human being. And God, thank you so much for for in grace dealing with me accordingly. Do you hear what I've done? You see what I've done? All I did was read the Bible and I prayed it. I took my cues from this book that the Holy Spirit of God has inspired and I let it guide how I prayed and what I prayed for. And can I tell you the beauty and benefit of praying this way? It prevents you from ever feeling stuck in your prayer life again. I mean, come on, let's be honest. We've all felt stuck at times, haven't we? (laughs) All right, I am 48 seconds in and I've gotten through my list and I don't know what else to pray for. (laughs) Here's my encouragement to you. Instead of spending all your time stuck in prayer, open your Bible, read it, and pray it. The great news is anyone can learn how to do this. And if you want to learn how to do this, there is a great resource that I recommend to people all the time. It's called Praying the Bible. This little book by Donald Whitney. It's 89 pages long, so you could literally read it in one setting. Big font, by the way. I would encourage you, okay, 
this afternoon. Get on Amazon, buy Praying the Bible, buy Donald Whitney, read it, apply it, and start praying biblically. I promise if you'll do this, your prayer life will never be the same. Final point, pray unceasingly. Pray unceasingly. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. The literal translation, don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. And you might wonder, well, James, how is that even possible? I have a job. I have a spouse. I have kids. I go to school. Like, I can't just sit around and pray all day. Well, the good news is that's not what Paul's teaching us to do here. Okay, the call is not to hole up in a room somewhere and to pray around the clock. No, Paul is calling us to live our lives with a constant attitude of prayerfulness. And what I want to do is illustrate for you what this looks like using a day in my own life, okay? So uh, every morning I get out of the bed at 5.30 a.m. And as my feet hit the floor, I just pray, God, thank you for today. Thank you that your mercies are new for me today. God, would you help me to live my life today in a way that honors you and puts you on display to the world around me? God, I just need you today. By 7 a.m., I'm rushing out the door to get my daughter to school. And just about that time, the sun is starting to peak above the trees in our neighborhood. All sorts of beautiful colors. And my daughter and I will just point that out. And I'll just pray quickly. God, thank you for that. Thank you for being the God of creation. For putting your divine character on display in that way. So that people like me never have to wonder if you're real or if you're out there. (laughs) Shortly afterwards, I drop my daughter at school, and I pray, God, help her to not be a heathen today. (laughs) Right? Parents, yes and amen, right? Like, help her to respect her teachers, to be kind to her friends, and God, help her to maintain her joy no matter what the day brings. And then I come right over here across the street to the office, and I just unpack my stuff. I settle into my chair, and before I start working on my sermon for Sunday, I pray. And literally, every day of the week that I'm working on a sermon, this is what I pray. God, fill me with your spirit to overflowing. God, immerse me in your spirit. Envelop me in your spirit. I need wisdom. I need clarity that I do not possess on my own. And then I pray, God, you know who's going to be in the room this weekend. I don't. You know the needs that are going to be present in the room this weekend, and I don't. So Holy Spirit of God, would you put thoughts on my mind? Would you put words in my mouth that I can speak to people that they need to hear from you? And I get to work. Uh, On particular days, I'll stop for a lunch meeting. And let's say it's a day where I'm meeting with a couple who I know are having marriage struggles. I go to the restaurant. Before I ever get out of my truck, I pray, God, help me. I don't want them to hear James' marriage advice. I want them to hear Jesus' marriage advice. And so I just need wisdom. Um, Help me to love well, help me to listen well, and give me the words that I need to encourage and challenge as needed. Then after my day's over, I go to the gym, and I pull into the parking lot, and I pray, God, help me survive this, because I am tired, and I need some energy, and I just don't want to get hurt, right? And then I drive home, and then I pull into my driveway, and as I'm opening the garage door, I just pray and go, God, I have no idea what's going on inside. I don't know how crazy my kids have been. I don't know how tired or frustrated my wife may be, but regardless of what's going on in there, God, would you do something to me right now? God, give me patience and give me kindness and give me understanding and just help me to be the husband and father I need to be tonight. Listen, I I could keep going, but you hear it, right? 
this constant attitude of prayerfulness that Paul describes, that's what it looks like to pray without ceasing. It's you being mindful that the presence of God is always open, always surrounding you, and it's also you, based on what's happening in your life at any given time, being very intentional about walking in prayerful fellowship with God. Pray unceasingly. Now, as we close, I'm going to make one last point, and this may be the most important point of the entire message. In fact, I would say it is the most important point of the entire message. And so just lean in, if you will. Look, if you miss what I'm going to say in these final few minutes, you may as well throw away the rest of your notes because it doesn't matter, okay? That's how important this is. I want you to know right now in this moment that it is impossible to pray in these eight ways if you leave here and just work harder at prayer. Like if you just go out today and you go, okay, I'm going to get that right. I'm going to put in effort. I mean, I'm going to pray in all those ways that James taught us to pray in today. You might pull it off for like a week or two, but eventually you're going to start struggling with prayer again. Why? Because that approach is you praying in the flesh. What do I mean by praying in the flesh? I just mean that's you taking your prayer life into your own hands and trying to make it work by your own effort and your own might. It's never going to work. The only way, please hear me, the only way to pray in these eight ways is by praying in the Spirit. Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 6. Here's what he says. He says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. Pray at all times in the Spirit. So what does it mean to pray in the Spirit? Well, depending on who you ask, you might get some different answers. I'm going to keep it as simple as possible for now. Okay, praying in the Spirit. Listen, it just means that you pray empowered by and completely yielded to the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside of you. You see, I think the problem we often face in prayer is that we rush in and we rush through and we rush out and never once do we stop and say to the Holy Spirit of God, I need your help to pray. I need your help. Like, I I don't even know how to pray right now. What to pray for. Holy Spirit, would you show me? Would you give me the words that I need? Holy Spirit of God, put thoughts on my mind, emotions on my heart, words in my mouth. And Holy Spirit, if I just need to keep my mouth shut and listen right now, would you reveal that to me? And because we fail to do that, what we do is we end up praying for whatever we can think of or whatever we want to pray for. We struggle to find words, so we just make them up. And prayer feels forced. And it feels awkward. And we're just glad when it's over. Please hear me. That does not need to be your experience in prayer. Prayer can be exhilarating. It can be full of life and energy and passion if, look, if you will learn to pray in the Spirit. So how in the world do you do that? I'm going to give you two words to remember. I want to make it easy. You admit and you ask. You admit and you ask. So first off, you admit your own inability to pray. Okay, Holy Spirit, I I can't pray like I need to by myself. If I attempt to do this on my own, I'm going to pray in my flesh and my prayers are going to putter out and it's going to be over really quickly and I'm going to feel like this didn't matter. And so, Holy, I just can't do this by myself. You admit your own inability and then you ask. So Holy Spirit of God, would you come and take over? 
Holy Spirit of God, push me forward in prayer. Help me to pray like I need to pray right now. So look, as we close, I just thought we would practice that together. Uh, I imagine that all of us in the room, we need to pray in different ways. And and we're going to do that in just a moment. We're going to pray in whatever way we feel led to pray in. But before we do that, all of us in the room need to pray and ask the Holy Spirit for his help. And so right now, let's just start there. Just heads bowed, eyes closed, all over the room. Don't ask God for anything yet. (laughs) Just right now, I want you to say to the Holy Spirit of God that lives in you, if you're a child of God, I can't pray on my own. Just tell him, just admit it. Your weakness, your dependency, your inability. Holy Spirit, I need your help in prayer. I, I can't do this by myself. And just begin to ask him for the help you need. Holy Spirit, show me how to pray. I don't want to pray for what I want to pray for. I want to pray for what you want me to pray for. Holy Spirit, give me words. I don't want to just say whatever words come to mind. I want to say the words that you put on my heart. Holy Spirit, help me to pray. And listen, if you feel like the Holy Spirit's beginning to show you how to pray, just begin to pray. Begin to pray. If not, just be quiet and listen. And just keep asking Him. Show me. Put it on my mind. Put it on my heart. But just pray right now. In whatever way the Spirit of God leads you, just lift your voice to Him. Just pray. Spirit, we confess our deep need for you. We know that it is impossible to live the life we have been created and saved to live without your presence and without your power in our lives. And and we know that's true when it comes to prayer as well. Holy Spirit, would you ignite our prayer lives?